Hello, and welcome to Rollins Around Town. I'm Sam Stark, and I serve as the Vice President of Communications and External Relations here at Rollins College. Rollins Around Town is a showcase of outstanding people who make dynamic and important contributions to the Rollins campus and throughout Central Florida. In either case, these are difference makers who help uplift the mission and brand of Rollins and who help make our region a special place to live, learn, and work. Today, I'm delighted to welcome U.S. Congresswoman Stephanie Murphy. Representative Murphy was elected to the U.S. House of Representatives in 2016 by defeating incumbent John Micah. Six years later, she currently serves on the House Ways and Means Committee, the House Armed Services Committee, and serves as the Deputy Whip of the House Democratic Majority. Prior to the 2016 election, she was a businesswoman and a college instructor teaching classes here at Rollins. Uh, my apology, uh, Congresswoman, for this brief and, and inadequate introduction, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get into some of your other accomplishments throughout the show. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, join us today on Rollins Around Town. Great to be with you, Sam, and with the Rollins uh, community. It, it feels a bit like being uh, home. Awesome. We love it. Well, c can we go back to sort of your, you know, your aha moment? I mean, what, what was happening in 2015, or heck, maybe it was even 2016, that inspired you to decide to run for Congress? And oh, by the way, against a pretty popular incumbent in, in Central Florida. Yeah, you know, um, I didn't decide to run uh, until four months out from the election, um, and I'd never run for public office before. But there I was in 2016. Um, I had two jobs. I was working a day job and teaching at Rollins College, and I had two kids. Um, they were two and, I guess, uh, two and six, two and five, I guess, at that time. And um, I lived through kind of the summer of um, 2016 and um, in June, a gunman walked into our community, uh, into a nightclub in our community, and took the lives of 49 innocent individuals. And I looked at Washington, and I knew that there were things that we could do to make our community safer by passing common sense gun safety laws. And yet, I wasn't seeing that happen. And so, I decided that if we were going to change Washington, we had to change the kinds of people we were sending there. And so, I launched a campaign. Um, four months shy of uh, the November election and unseated a 24-year incumbent um, because I felt like, you know, my kids and my community deserve somebody who is willing to fight for common sense and safety laws. Love it. With a, a strong and, uh, and obviously a, a platform that resonated. So here we are six years later. Um, what makes you know, what makes your public service rewarding and fulfilling for you? Honestly, the ability to help people. And I actually am just beyond proud of what my team and I have been able to accomplish serving our community over the last um, five or so years. You know, we actually were able to lift the 22-year ban on gun violence research and apply um, millions of dollars to that. And we were able to do that with a... Trump White House and uh, a Republican Senate or a Republican House, um, we were able to convince people that, you know, when it comes to our public safety and public health issue like gun violence, um, we needed the facts. And, um, you know, I, I, I've just 
enjoyed being able to serve this community, whether it's getting somebody a visa so they can come attend uh, Rollins College or um, helping veterans with their um, veterans' affairs, veterans' um, benefits or Social Security benefits. Um, we are able to make a difference in people's lives um, in small ways and in big ways, um, and that, that's been the most rewarding thing. And, and, of course, couldn't ask that first question without the follow-up. So, like, you know, what's the, what, what makes it frustrating and challenging? And maybe that's sort of an obvious <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I think, um, I think everybody sees how dysfunctional Washington can be. Um, and um, certainly our politics have gotten very divisive and people use um, language and rhetoric that, you know, I certainly wouldn't let my kids use. Um, and I think, and that's, that's hard, right. Um, to be either the target of that or to be involved in conversations that aren't, um, productive and aren't leading towards solutions for this country. And so that has been a, a frustrating part of this is that it's becoming more and more acceptable to treat our neighbors, um, in ways that, um, I would say Mr. Rogers wouldn't approve of. <laughs> and I know he's a proud alum of Rollins, so... Indeed. Yeah, perfect. Well said. So I'm, I'm here in D.C., as you know, and uh, for the National Association of Independent Colleges and Universities annual meeting and advocacy day. And uh, one of the top priorities of NICU and, and indeed for over 700 Rollins students is the Pell Grant, uh, certainly with hopes of increasing uh, the, the Pell Grant award for for students. Uh, this is close to home for you, I know. Um, can you, you know, look into your crystal ball and, and, you know, predict or share what you think the future of Pell Grant and Pell Grant funding uh, is and will be? Well, as, as you all may know, I'm, I was really fortunate enough to receive a Pell Grant. It enabled me to go to college. I was the first woman in my family to go to college, and I couldn't have done it without Pell Grant and work-study um, programs and some scholarships, you know, I, I pieced it together. And I, I used to teach at Rollins, as you mentioned at the top, um, both in the uh, day school as well as Holt. And I know a lot of students who relied on Pell Grants to be able to, um, to, to go to school, and they were first in their families as well. And I think it's critically important that we make education accessible. And so fighting for Pell Grants, both um, additional money in Pell Grants as well as additional flexibility is so critically important because the way that people engage with education is different than uh, they used to. You know, a lot of folks now go through, take classes through the summer. So we need to have the flexibility um, for Pell Grants. And uh, obviously we also have to... Um, increase them so that they match the uh, cost of education these days. And so we're working hard on that. Um, the good news is that I am a part of what's called the Future Forum, and we're about 50 of the youngest members of Congress. And we focus on issues that matter to young Americans. And so this is one of those issues that we really focus on, and we're doing the best we can to try to um, increase the um, Pell Grant to help more students succeed, as well as increase flexibility so that students can use the Pell Grants um, in the ways that they want to. Um, both the um, current spending bill that we're looking at, as well as um, the 
bill, uh, some other bills that we've been working on here in Congress include um, increases to the Pell Grant. So fingers crossed that we get it across the finish line and signed into law. Awesome. Well, thanks. Uh, on behalf of Rollins and, and many on all the other NICU institutions, I know uh, how grateful we are to, to leaders like you who, uh, who see it and get it and, uh, and help advocate for it. Um, let's go a little closer to home. Can, can you share, you know, what are some recent results or uh, of, of recent legislation that, you know, will, will kind of directly benefit the Central Florida region? Anything, you know, top of mind for you on that? Well, um, the two big things that um, we did this year was to provide pandemic relief uh, resources as well as to pass a historic uh, infrastructure bill. And I'm really proud of those efforts. Um, on the pandemic relief um, element, at the beginning of this year, when we thought maybe the pandemic was waning, um, but then we got hit with Delta and Omicron, um, we were certainly grateful that we passed additional pandemic relief that included a moratorium on uh, student loan payments and that it included resources to help um, colleges and universities support their students through this time. Um, it included a, a provision that I, um, I created, which was the uh, employee retention tax credit. And basically, that allowed businesses to retain and rehire workers, which was hugely important in the middle of the pandemic. So there were a lot of resources that went out to our community to support working families, students, you know, um, small businesses in the midst of um, the continuing pandemic. And then the other piece, which is really kind of exciting, is that we've been talking about infrastructure investments here in Washington forever, so much so that it had become a punchline. Oh, it's infrastructure week again, but yet nothing was getting done. Right. Um, but this year, we actually got something done. We got uh, a bipartisan infrastructure bill across the finish line, signed into law, and um, we are receiving those resources here in Central Florida already. And these are resources to uh, improve our bridges, our roads, um, expand broadband, invest in uh, the Everglades, which is critically important to the environment in Florida. So we're, we're starting to see that money, and it's going to make a huge impact on uh, people's commutes and just kind of their ability to um, get around and to function in the 21st century. And then I would be remiss, and I'm sorry I'm going on, but I would nope. be remiss not to mention that we um, were able after, um, gosh, almost 15 to upgrade, uh, to get the Medal of Honor for um, uh, one of our Oviedo um, sons, um, Alan Cash. He died in um, Iraq. He, he, he died in Iraq um, because uh, his um, Bradley vehicle was hit by an, an IED. And even though it was on fire and his uniform was soaked in fuel, he went back into that vehicle repeatedly um, under small arms fire uh, and literally on fire to save his fellow soldiers. And um, he died of those injuries. And recently we were able to get his um, posthumously um, get him awarded the Medal of Honor. Uh, it was a proud day for me to be at the White House with his family uh, when the, the president um, awarded him that. And I, I think it's critically important. You know, we judge a nation um, not just by uh, the men that we produce, but how we honor 
um, the men um, and men and women um, who serve. Wow, that's uh, that's that's beautiful. An American hero. Um, hard hard to transition from that, but uh, on we go. Um, yeah, I, I talk about this a lot, you know, in, in the Central Florida region, which you know has changed so dramatically. Uh, the one area where I think we probably don't get enough credit as a region is is, is higher education. I mean, I, I think we have one of the best large public. I think we have the best small private, um, our community colleges, uh, and then a world-class entertainment and production institution. Um, what, what's been your observations of the growth and success of higher ed in, in, in the Central Florida region? In fact, it's one of the things I talk about the most when I talk to people about how great Central Florida is. We have the amazing minds and creativity that can create the entertainment experiences that happen out at the parks. And then we have the technical know-how and the scientific um, and innovative minds that are able to send uh, you know, rockets into space and men and women to the moon. And that is all layered on top of a world-class higher education system that includes all of what you discussed. Um, We have within um, this area, within about a two-hour drive, five um, ADA-accredited schools where we're producing top-notch engineers. Um, We are at Rollins, you are producing incredible uh, liberal arts uh, graduates who and, and your business program, um, there are just, we have an incredible talent pool in Central Florida because of the uh, higher education. And I think we're seeing that people are recognizing that. And it's a reason why people are moving their headquarters. Uh, to Central Florida, and we are growing so fast. And then the bonus is that we've got great weather and a great community to raise your children and to live and work in. And so um, all of that is the reason why Central Florida is growing so fast and why it's been critically important to get the resources to Central Florida to support So now the new uh, residents who are moving here um, for these jobs and, uh, you know, and a lot of students come to Rollins and other higher education students and stay. They decide this is a great place to be. And so it's awesome. I'm I'm so proud to represent this area. I love that. Um, So even more local, Winter Park has a city commission election in a few weeks, and and Rollins students more and more are, are really getting involved and engaged um, on every level when it comes to elections. What, what's, what did you do and what, what, you know, what have you done over your, um, I guess, two or three uh, elections to, to get younger voters involved and engaged in, in voting? So you may not know this, but um, Florida 7, which is my district and it includes downtown Orlando as well as all of Seminole County, is the youngest district in Florida. And when I tell people that nationally, they're like, well, you're from Florida, so what does young actually mean? But the reality is that we have, uh, we're the youngest district because of that higher education system. We have a lot of young people um, here. And so what my campaigns have had to do and, and my, my office too is, you know, we have to listen to everybody, um, whether they have the ability to vote or not. 
And it's so critically important, and it's been heartening to see people get engaged, um, whether it's in local elections, state or federal elections. I always say that the most dangerous thing to a democracy is a disengaged electorate. And I used to worry a lot about young people feeling, you know, that this this chaos, this gridlock that they see on cable news would turn them off, would make them feel disaffected and not engaged. But what's been awesome is that in Central Florida, we don't we don't see a ton of that. We see young people engaged, understanding um, their rights uh, and uh, and using their voices to shape the outcome for communities as well as this country. And um, and anybody who wants to be elected in Central Florida has to engage with young people. Yeah, that's for sure. This might be too philosophical and too deep, and I know we don't have enough time to really <laughs> go into this, but it's something that I think about a lot and the political hack sort of myself and, and as a father, frankly, but it just seems like we're really going through an unprecedented time in America. And, and you touched upon this too at, at the beginning where people just don't talk to each other, particularly, um, you know, Democrats and Republicans, and, and it's just a little bit tough. But even on top of that now, it seems like, some Democrats don't even like Democrats and some Republicans don't even like Republicans. And it's like that, that to me is a bit of a game changer and, and a real difference that than, than I've seen over, you know, a, a bit of a career in, in this space and being aware of it. So I guess the, the short question, and I know it requires a long answer is what's going on. And, and do you remain optimistic and hopeful for our American democracy? Well, so Madeleine Albright, who was the first uh, female Secretary of State um, and a refugee from um, a, uh, a communist kind of uh, authoritarian um, country, um, she, when asked about the future of democracy, she says she's an optimist, but she worries a lot. And I really relate to that. Uh, I sit on the January 6th um, Select Committee uh, investigating the attack on the Capitol. Um, I have been serving now um, in my third term, and I am one of those Democrats who is um, loathed and loved by Democrat, Democrats and Republicans alike. Um, so I, I hear you. I, I, I do worry a bit about the divisiveness of uh, our nation, and I came from an authoritarian country, I know that there's a very fine line between democracy and autocracy. And so it's upon us, it's incumbent upon Americans of all political uh, stripes to decide that our democracy matters more um, than our uh, desire to be right in an argument and to treat one another with a level of respect, even if we disagree on, um, on, on policy perspectives or, or views. And that, um, that allows us to turn the volume down, to turn the kind of rhetoric and the heat and the vitriol down. And we desperately need to do that as a nation right now. And the other thing that I recommend to a lot of my um, constituents, they'll come to town halls and are just so worked up and upset, you know, and I'm like, you know what, take a break from cable news. Hey, do me a favor and right. turn it off for like three days and take a beat. Yeah. And and I think that's a healthy recommendation for everybody. Um, as much as I, you know, you, I, as much as I uh, I like MSNBC, CNN, Fox News, and appear on them, 
I think um, they fuel this uh, anger and resentment and, and divisiveness. Um, and, and it's good to have these programs, you know, where normal people talk about the things that they're doing and at a very local level and um, in ways that aren't meant to incite. Um, and so I think, I think it's good. Um, yeah. More local, less, less cable. <laughs> so the takeaway that we have here that, that we're going to say that uh, Congresswoman Murphy says, listen to WPRK more. So that, that, that's what we're going with. Um, tell us, what's a blue dog? So um, blue dogs are uh, Democrats who are united behind um, a strong national security and fiscal responsibility and believe in working in a pragmatic way to get things done. I always say that, you know, the only bills that really make a difference in people's lives are the ones that can get signed into law. So we are, are pragmatic. And if that means working with um, Republicans or Democrats or whoever we need to to get things across the finish line, that's what we do. Um, but we do believe in a strong national security and being fiscally responsible. Um, of course, you know, as we look at what's happening in the country around inflation and otherwise, it turns out that some of my colleagues who believe that, you know, endless spending uh, with no, um, it doesn't have any consequences, we're wrong. Um, and uh, so we're, we're a little bit of a check on some of that. Um, but just trying to get things done here in Washington. Yeah, love that. Um, just sort of as we get to the end, talk a little bit about your teaching experience at Rollins and, you know, how was it? And, um, you know, um, and, and maybe it'll lead to my next question, but maybe... Maybe we, we, we bring you back to Rollins. <laughs> I loved teaching at Rollins, and that's probably one of the things I miss the most about my before life. Um, I, I, I love teaching there. Um, I taught students from all sorts of backgrounds. I loved the passion and enthusiasm. And, um, I, you know, I taught finance as well as social entrepreneurship. And social entrepreneurship is about doing good and doing well, um, and the ideas that were discussed in classes were um, just inspiring. It made me feel really good about the future of this country. Um, unlike some, some days here in Washington, um, my days at Rollins um, inspired me and felt, made me feel optimistic about the future. And I, I do miss being in the classroom. Um, so we'll have to see. We'll have to see. Well, it certainly goes to, to, to the end here, and I feel like it's my patriotic duty to try to talk you out of, uh, of this question. <laughs> what, what's going to happen next? You've declared you're not running for re-election. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd love to know why, but uh, more, more importantly, what, what's next for Stephanie Murphy? Well, you know, um, my family and I were rescued by this country escaping authoritarianism, and I will always uh, feel indebted to it. I, I'm never going to feel that my debt is fully paid, and I believe that public service is a way in which I can kind of chip away at that, that debt. Uh, it's the reason I went to work at the Department of Defense after 9-11. It's the reason I, you know, threw my hat, my hat into the ring to run for a congressional seat. Um, and But as any working parent, um, and I know you know this, you know, you balance between your professional ambitions and your personal family uh, responsibilities. Yes. And so 
I'm, I'm, I believe that we live our lives in chapters, and this chapter um, for me coming forward is uh, about being available for the soccer games and the spelling bees and the Girl Scout meetings and, you know, the school plays and things like that. Um, and I, but I, I do believe I'll, I'll find ways to continue to give back to this country because uh, I owe it so much. That's fantastic. Well, um, I can't thank you enough for, for making some time uh, for us today. I uh, wish you uh, and your family all the best, and, uh, and certainly we welcome you back to Rollins anytime between now and whenever. So uh, come, come see us, and uh, thank you for, for all that you do, and, uh, again, appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much, Sam, and um, thanks to the Rollins community for just what a great influence they are in our, um, our area of Central Florida and go Tars. Awesome. Go Tars. Special thanks to Angel and Greg uh, back at the studio for uh, helping us get this show coordinated and for doing so much work for Rollins around town to keep updated on all of our shows and guests. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Rollins Around Town and subscribe to our podcast. Of course, this one will go up shortly, uh, Rollins Around Town on Apple, Google, and Spotify. So with that, we thank Congresswoman Murphy and we wish you all a great day. Thanks.